If you've got a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Every night around our house, we have a little routine we go through. When we're getting the boys ready for bed, we inevitably always sit down on the couch or somewhere and, and start reading stories, picking out books. And our boys always, inevitably, they always pick out books. And I guess this is mostly the case of most children's books. They always have happy endings, right? They're always fun. They make you laugh. They're enjoyable. You know, we sit down and watch TV shows, and we like shows that um, make us laugh and encourage us, that, that are humorous, that are happy and funny. Um, we always like movies that, uh, where, the, uh, where the good guy wins in the end, right? Uh, where everything seems to work out. Everything magically is okay after a 22-minute episode of a show. Everything just mysteriously works out right. You know, when we come to the Bible, um, oftentimes we turn, most of us will turn to scriptures that comfort us, right? We want encouragement. We want peace. Uh, we want promises. We want blessings. We want joy. Uh, we want happiness. Uh, we want to be lifted up. Uh, well, this morning, Jesus' Beatitudes bring us to a, a very sobering reality. Uh, in fact, it was a statement that I believe would have been a shock for the audience. Because in one breath, Jesus tells his listeners there, and he tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He talks about how the blessed are the ones with the pure hearts. The blessed are the ones that, that make peace. But then in verse 10, he says this, and suddenly everything shifts. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution. And in fact, I think it was such a shock to his audience that he had to repeat it. This is the only beatitude in which he states twice. And when he says it again in verse 11, you'll notice he changes from blessed are those to blessed are you and gives a direct statement here right at them and says this in verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, in the days and age that we live in, in our United States of America, where we are blessed with religious freedom, um, we might think that we may never see persecution and hardship in the level of the type uh, that was experienced by the church in the book of Acts or the church throughout history during certain dark days, dark points in history. But unfortunately, Scripture paints a very different picture. Jesus said here that blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of false things against you on my account. In fact, we might even say that it's a little bit ironic that Jesus in the, very, the, 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 the previous beatitude said, blessed are the peacemakers, and then he immediately follows that up with blessed are the persecuted. Isn't that odd? Doesn't that seem strange that Jesus would say, blessed are the ones who go out and try to make peace. But let me tell you, blessed are the ones who are persecuted. You know, because the reality is, is that peacemaking is difficult work, isn't it? And not all desire God's peace. In fact, many fight against it, and the devil most definitely fights against the peace of God. And sometimes in our attempts to bring about spiritual peace, it will result in war. It will result in conflict. And let me tell you another irony while we're at it. The same Jesus who called us to be peacemakers also had this to say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. He said, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So while the gospel brings us unity, it unites us to God, it unites us to other believers, the truth is, is that it divides believers from the lost. And the result should not surprise us, and that is conflict and persecution. I think the perfect example of this is the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man who was well acquainted with persecution. He was well acquainted with hardship and trial. He was arrested and beaten and stoned and left for dead and and went through all sorts of, of difficulty for the sake of the gospel. He knew all about suffering for the Lord. Uh, But unfortunately, he also knew that he was not the only one that was going to walk through those trials. It's why he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, he said this, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this affliction. Destined for affliction. He's talking about persecution there in 1 Thessalonians. You know, oftentimes we hear that word destined and we think of it in a good sense, right? We, we see a, a, a high school student and we say, that girl is destined to do great things, right? We watch a, um, a kid who's really good at athletics, some sport, and we say, that kid's destined to become a star. Some kid, some person who has a unique talent, maybe they play the guitar well, the piano well, and we say they're destined to do great things. In fact, many of you vacation in a place called Destin, Florida, right? And you do so because it's a wonderful place, and there's a beach, and there's good food, and there's sand, and there's fun, and the sun, and all that kind of thing. But in the scripture, when the Bible speaks of destiny, it talks about being destined. It's basically saying that there's an idea that there's an unchangeable divine appointment. That it is what you were meant for, what you were made for, what you were intended to go through, that God has placed you on this path. And Paul's writings make clear that persecution and affliction aren't just his destiny, but they're ours as well. That it's the reality for us as well, every single believer in some way, shape, or form will go through persecution. He said this, Paul said this to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, we see this all over our globe in 2018, right? We, we, we read of this in the news. We just read of this, the pastor that was released um, from prison, had been in prison for several years. I think it was in Turkey, uh, you know, that our president, you know, got him released and all that kind of stuff. And we think about that. We think about stories that we hear from North Korea and Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq and Somalia and Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and on and on we can go of places where Christians are persecuted. Very real, very, very hard persecution. I don't know if you know this, but over 200 million Christians in our world today, today are denied fundamental human rights solely because of their faith. Over 300 every single month are murdered because of their belief in Jesus Christ in this world. Over 200 churches are destroyed monthly because of their proclamation of the name of Jesus. Over 800 people suffer violence every single month because of their their belief and their faith in the name of Jesus. And so today, 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 
Countless believers are suffering, paying the ultimate price because they have placed their faith in Jesus and they're not ashamed of it. They're not ashamed to declare that they love our Lord and Savior. But you might say, Jeff, hey, here in America, we're okay. We don't suffer that kind of stuff. You know, we've got a constitution that protects us. But let me say, maybe today, but I don't think we should be so naive to think that it will never come to America. I don't think we should be so um, naive to think that, that it will always be the way it is today for our children and for our grandchildren and for our great grandchildren. Um, as we look at the state of our nation and our culture and we see how quickly things have turned from bad to worse and how quickly um, our culture is moving away from biblical values, from the values of Christianity, and not just moving away from it, but becoming hostile to it and becoming where they fight against it like it talks about in Romans chapter 1, where the, the lost world is fighting against the church. It's not all crazy to think that there will come a day when we as believers here in the United States will face persecution on a grand scale. It's not all crazy to think that there's going to become a day where churches are punished for preaching the Word of God, for declaring that sin is sin and that holiness is holiness. It's not crazy to think that there will be a day when that will be called hate speech and churches will be fined and doors will be locked. And so, no, we might not face persecution of, that, of some grand scale of people losing their life and things like that here in America today, but the reality is, is that, that thing, those things come in slowly. They, they begin to creep in. And we also have to understand this when we look at Scripture. Um, any, that persecution isn't just death. But instead, it's any time that we face pressure to compromise or to change our beliefs or if we don't do so, to face ostracism, to face penalties for following Jesus. That's why Jesus said there, he said, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things uh, falsely uh, against you falsely on my account. It could be something as, as simple as, as, as the sneers and the jeers of others who say that you're narrow-minded for your belief in Jesus. Those might be insults that are spoken openly, or they might be insults that are whispered. It might be something where it might cost you a job, might cost you a promotion, might cost you extra income because you refuse to engage in unethical, um, unbiblical behavior. It might be like being labeled by your, by your friends and neighbors and your coworkers and saying that, that you're judgmental or you're bigoted or, or you're prejudiced because of your faith. And so whether big or small, we are promised that we will suffer persecution. It's what the Word of God says, that we will go through hardships and trials and suffering because of the name of Jesus, but yet Jesus calls it what? Blessed. Blessed are you when others persecute you. But we better get it straight. First thing I think we need to see here is the cause of persecution. What is Jesus talking about when he says blessed persecution? And it's this specifically, righteousness. Being persecuted for righteousness. You know, Christ isn't making a blanket promise that you will be blessed for any and all persecution you go through, no matter what the cause, no matter what the source. No, he is saying specifically in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so this is not suffering because of the consequence of your sin. Let's just make sure that's clear. 
This is not going through suffering because you did something sinful and you brought the consequence upon yourself. Many years ago, I was working at another church on staff and I had a lady come up to me after a service uh, one night and she began to tell me how she was going through persecution and going through hardship. And um, I also knew that this lady had been an alcoholic and that she had made many, many bad decisions, many sinful decisions. And as she was describing to me what she was going through, what I realized really quickly was these were not attacks from other people. These were consequences that were brought because of her own decisions. And it was very difficult for me to get across to this lady, look, the devil's not attacking you here. The devil didn't have to do anything because you did this to yourself. And so when Jesus says here, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, it's not talking about the consequence of sin. It's talking about when we do righteousness and we're persecuted. But, you know, even aside from obvious acts of sin that might bring consequence, uh, I think we must also be warned that sometimes Christians suffer not because they're acting like Christ, but instead because they're not acting like Christ, because they're doing the opposite of what Jesus would have called them to do. Many times Christians suffer because they acted or spoke foolishly, because they were rude, because they were genuinely judgmental, because they were pushy, uncaring, thoughtless, insensitive, prideful, arrogant. And so anytime that we feel like we might be suffering, like we might be slighted, I think it, it helps us, it's wise for us to step back before we begin to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, bless me for being persecuted. It would be wise for us to step back and say, why? Why am I going through this? Am I suffering because of my Christ-likeness? Or am I suffering because I'm failing to live like Christ? Jesus says here, the only promise of blessing is to those who suffer because of righteousness. For reflecting the character of Christ. But this is what he says next. Let me tell you what he says. He says the effect of persecution is this. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Look in verse 11. He said, blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, why in the world would we rejoice? That sounds about as backwards as saying that peacemakers will be persecuted. That doesn't make sense. And it sounds about as backwards as saying that persecutors... The persecuted will be blessed. But yet Jesus says this. He says, verse 10, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 12, he says, your reward is great in heaven. And so, number one, we rejoice as you look to your reward in heaven. You know, though we might see persecution and we might see affliction and we might see ridicule today, Jesus reminds us here that our eyes should not be fixed on today, but should be fixed on our future reality. And that is heaven. That no matter what the devil throws at us here today, this is not eternity. Our eternity is in heaven and glory with our heavenly Father. You know, one day Christ is going to return and he's going to set the record straight. And all suffering and all crying will cease. And we're going to receive the blessing of our heavenly reward. Death and persecution will be no more. And we will reign for eternity with Christ. 
A minute ago, we read how Paul said we were destined for affliction, but I think we also need to remember that though our current destiny might involve hardship and persecution, our eternal destiny is set in stone and can't be removed, can't be lost, can't be stolen. That's what Jesus told us in John chapter 28, or John chapter 10, verse 28. He said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What a guarantee. Nothing we can do and nothing someone else can do to us can remove us from the hand of Christ. Isn't that worth rejoicing over? Then no matter what we suffer, no matter how we are defamed, no matter how many times we get cussed at for the name of Jesus, no matter how many times people point the finger at us and call us fools, there is nothing that can remove the blessing of heaven and the promise that Jesus has said he will never leave us nor forsake us and that one day he is coming again and when he comes again everything is going to be settled and we are promised because you know what the neat thing about this story is every time I've read it it always ends the same in the end we win not because we did anything but because Jesus wins and we are his and so we rejoice as we look to heaven and then secondly, we rejoice because in that persecution, you are identified with Christ. That We are identified with Christ. In verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Think about this. When we find ourselves going through hardship, when people point the finger at us and call us fools and all this kind of stuff, have you ever thought about the fact that in those moments... We are receiving the exact same treatment that all those Old Testament saints went through, that all those disciples went through, and that we are being identified with them. That's what Jesus said here. He said, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And let me ask you, where are those prophets today? In heaven, rejoicing with the Father. They're not suffering anymore. They're in glory. And so Jesus says, look, you may have, he, it's kind of like he's going back to that first point again. He's saying, look, you may be going through hardship right now, but for so they treated the prophets. And guess what? The prophets are with my father right now. They're good to go. They're not suffering anymore. And so don't worry about it because you're just identifying with them. But most importantly, when we suffer, when we go through persecution, we are being identified with Jesus Christ. That just as they persecuted him, they are persecuting us. That's what he said in John chapter 15, verse 20. He said, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will also persecute you. There ought to be joy in our hearts that the devil and the world sought to treat us the same way it treated Jesus. That our lives so reflected the life of Christ that we're being treated the exact same way that our Lord and Savior was treated. That ought to bring a smile to our faces. Weird as that seems, it ought to bring assurance to our souls 
then in those moments, they're doing to us just what they do to our Savior. Not that we could ever repay Jesus, but to say, Jesus, I know I'm walking your path because they're treating me just like they treated you. But here's the question we got to ask ourselves. What if the world doesn't persecute us? What if everything always seems to be rosy and, and we never seem to suffer for our faith? Is there something difficult with that? Now, let me make sure we, we get something clear here. It's not that we're going to suffer persecution all the time. We don't see that in Scripture. The, 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 the disciples, the, the, the New Testament church, they didn't always suffer. And it's not that we should go around hunting for persecution, right? It's not that we run around looking for places to get ourselves into trouble, you know? I don't think that's what we're called to do. Um, but Jesus does make clear here that, that his followers will suffer at times. It's part of our identity, and so should we be worried if we never do? I think so. Possibly. You know, because for some believers, they've so isolated themselves from the world that it's really no wonder that they don't face any pressure because they're never around lost people. Because they've completely removed themselves from the lost world and they're living like monks who, who, who isolate themselves from the outside. That's not how we're called to live. And others don't suffer anything because they've so compromised their beliefs in Scripture that they no longer look any different than the world. And so why would they expect the world to treat them any differently? You know, this past Wednesday on our Wednesday night Bible study, we looked at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And we talked about how for some believers... They're so, they've become so ashamed of what the Word of God teaches that they've begun to compromise it because they don't want to offend their neighbors. They don't want to offend people around them. But Paul said, no, I'm not ashamed. No matter what I go through, no matter what I suffer, I'm not ashamed. You know, the temptation is that we want to do things so that we don't suffer. I mean, isn't that part of our, our human nature is we want, to, we want to alleviate pain, Right. And we want, to, we want to have things be good and, and go easy. And so sometimes it can be tempting to us as believers to want to soften what Scripture teaches so that we don't ruffle any feathers, so we don't, you know, get any pushback. And we think in the end, okay, man, look, this all worked out well because I'm, not, I'm going to avoid the conflict, but at what cost? The cost of carrying out the mission of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, in order to carry out the mission that Christ has called us to, that great commission, it requires us to be in the world, to interact with the world, but yet not to resemble the world, but instead to live in, in contrast to the world, to live seeking righteousness and holiness and declaring the truth, not compromising the truth, and to stand is that which goes against the world. And we're going to suffer for that we will receive persecution. And so the challenge this morning is simply this. Stand strong. Scripture makes it clear we are going to suffer if we follow the word. And it can be tempting to fold, to waver, because we don't want to go through hardship. We don't want it for our family. We don't want it for our loved ones. And we want, we want, we want easiness. But yet Jesus says this, stand strong. You know... Um, I, you couldn't help but notice the past month or so um, all the news from the tragedy of Hurricane Michael, right? You've, you've all seen this in the news. Um, it was the first Category 4 storm to ever hit, make landfall in the panhandle of Florida. Devastating. It was awful. Um, you know, maybe as many as 30 deaths, they say, 
damage up in the billions of dollars or $4 billion worth of destroyed property and damage there. Um, I don't know how many, I don't know how many of you have seen all the pictures of everything, of all the things that were destroyed and just where once there were all these beach houses and stuff is now just wiped out. Uh, well, I came across this one picture um, from Mexico Beach, Florida, and I think I've got it. You can see this, this house here, uh, this front house, this white house right here. Uh, obviously, you look around it and there's just absolute destruction everywhere else, but you have this one house that is standing and honestly looking like it hasn't gone through a whole lot of damage, right? It's called the Sand Palace. It's a rental house in Mexico Beach, Florida. Uh, it went through the same storm that everything else did, um, and, and it left me wondering, I read an article about it, as to how in the world did this one house survive this storm when even the ones right next to it on but the left and the right were completely wiped out? How? Well, it's because the builders, the, the man who built it, decided before he built it that he wanted to make a house that would survive the worst of the worst of the worst storms. And he did. It was said that it cost him probably at least twice as much, if not more, than a normal house to build because of the standards by which he chose to build it. Uh, it's, it's a, he, they, in that part of the state of Florida, uh, building code says you have to build a house that will withstand 150 mile an hour winds. He said, that's not enough. Let's do 250. Um, they built the whole thing out of poured concrete reinforced with steel and rebar. In the corners, he put even more concrete. When the guy built the roof on the house, he put very little space underneath the roof because he didn't want wind to get up under it and suck it off. Um, he built staircases outside that would immediately be pulled off so that it would not tear the building up. Um, he built it way, way up above ground, and then he had 40-foot pilings driven in the ground um, in order for it to stand on. This man went to every every possible expense, did everything he could possibly think of to make a house that would withstand the worst storm, and it did. The article said that when he showed up, he, he climbed up in the house, he, he brought a ladder because he knew the staircase would be gone, got a ladder, climbed up in, and he said, I can clean this thing up in about a month. It'll be ready to go. But then he looked around and he said, but what about all these other people? There's no way they'll be able to clean up in years probably. And so here's what I want us to think about this morning as we, as we close. Is your faith built to stand the storms of persecution? Is the faith that you have in Jesus, is what you are building your life on strong enough to stand the pressure that the devil will throw at you? Are, are you digging deep into God's word? Are you building your life on the foundation on the, of the truth that it provides? Do you trust the walls of God's never-ending promises to stand up in the storm, even through the eye of the storm? You know, unfortunately, many believers will falter and their, their, their strength will fail at times of persecution. They'll compromise on their beliefs when they count the cost of following Jesus. Instead of a life of faithfulness, they cave. They just want a life of ease. Others will, will stand firm for the Lord, but they opt to take shortcuts in the background, and they look like everything is good. Uh, they skimp on their time in prayer. Um, they, they opt to, uh, to cut corners when it comes to their time in worship and their time in the Word. Uh, rather than linking arms in fellowship with other believers, uh, they just decide to go it alone, thinking they're going to be okay. And they may have a house that looks okay, but in reality, when the, when the storm comes, it falls. 
their faith falters. Just like those houses that looked good before Hurricane Michael came through, but inevitably fell. And there's something else interesting I want you to see. Put that picture back up there, Mike, if you don't mind. Do you notice the, the house behind that house? It's kind of funny, isn't it? Here are all these houses to the left and to the right that were absolutely destroyed by this storm. But yet there's a, I mean, obviously there's that, house, that yellow house over to the right, but the roof is half missing. But yet the house right behind that house looks like it was unscathed. It kind of reminds me how um, that in our homes, in our families, um, that moms, dads, your faith protects the faith of your children. That as I stand strong in the Lord, as I seek to pursue God, I am helping and protecting my family for times of storms. That, that my faith, as I strengthen my faith, I bring my family along with me. And so I believe it's a challenge to us who are dads, especially fathers, husbands, that we as the leaders of our homes must stand strong in the Lord, that we must remain in the word of God, that we must be prepared for the hardships that will come because there are others who will be protected because of our faith. There will be others who will continue to look to Jesus as they watch us look to Jesus. The only reason that house is still standing is because the one in front of it was strong. And I pray that, that when we go through storms in my personal family, that my children will not lose faith in God as they watch their father and their mother refuse to lose faith in God. So this morning, let me ask you about your faith. Is it ready to stand up to the storms of persecution? Would you pray with me? Father God, we like good news. We like happiness. We like peace and prosperity. We like ease. But this morning we're reminded from Scripture that, as you said, in this world we will have trouble. Persecution will come. Conflict will come because of our faith in Jesus. Father, as we live out our faith, we know that it's not going to be well received by many others. But God, we stand here in faith today, trusting you. Father, we come here today hanging on your promise that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. When we stand up for your sake, that we're blessed. As we look to our heavenly reward, as we... As we stand in identification with you and we realize that we're going through the same things you're going through. God, even with those promises, sometimes, Father, we can lose faith. We can lose hope. We can lose trust. And so, God, I pray for us as believers that you would give us confidence in you. Father, I don't know. I'm sure there's probably someone in this, in this building right now that's, that is going through this kind of hardship. Probably many someone's Maybe it's from a family member. Maybe it's from a job situation, but uh, they're being attacked because of their faith. And God, I pray that for that person, for those individuals, God, that you would give them confidence. Give them strength not to waver. But instead to trust in the eye of the storm that you're in control. Father God, I pray for 
any in this room who need to make decisions. Father, if there are those that need to make a decision for salvation, they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, I pray that today would be that day that they would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, if there be those that need to make other decisions, whether that be church membership or some type of rededication, Father, I pray that that you would give those individuals the confidence to step out and to, to make those decisions public today. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Just stand as we sing.